Hey, welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by the Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder, and thanks for tuning in this week. We are in the mud of earnings season with some clear winners and losers in the market. Buybacks are firing off. The employment report last week came with higher revisions of months past. And now the CPI number reading with January consumer prices up 0.6%, which means it's up 7.5% year over year. Core CPI being up 6% over year. The yield on the 10-year broke 2%, even though it was just at 1.93 on Wednesday morning. And Fed official Bullard making some interesting remarks. And the last that we checked, managing editor Kim Khan told me that we are now at 75% chance of a 50 basis point hike, or sorry, uh, up to a 100% basis point by July. So where are we now? How does this translate into what this market is telling you? And what should you do next with your money? We have two amazing guests joining us today on the program. So let's get started by bringing in Andy Conson, founder at Dam Spring Advisors, who previously spent his time at Bridgewater and Brevin Howard and ran two hedge funds as well, but started Dam Spring Advisors in spring of 2019. Hey, Andy, how are you today? Hey, how are you, Dan? Doing well. So I'm sure you heard the intro. We've been going through all of the data, hot CPI number and the market reaction. What's your take on this? Sure. So um, I think a hot CPI number was generally expected. Um, the market has been um, doing very well uh, over the last, since the January 24th bottom, at least the equity market. Bond market's been flattening, short rates obviously going up a lot as additional hikes are priced in. Uh, today, we had a huge move in the two-year note, which was consistent with that. And then when Bullard spoke, um, things got even more interesting and uh, markets continued to flatten. Um, so overall, um, pretty much as expected after a hot number. What do you think we're going to see going forward from here? I mean, are, are you looking, uh, you know, we're, we're almost halfway through February. There's a lot going on in the news right now about supply chain issues. We just talked with Jay Mintzmeyer last week here on the program about cargo ships off the ship of L.A. What are you watching in the next few weeks? And, and do you think that the inflation number is going to stay high? Well, my 2022 outlook, which I wrote in December, focused on um, the uh, increasing drumbeat, um, which I had noticed um, in the uh, Fed meeting um, presser um, of QT. Um, that obviously came to be common knowledge by the um, January 4th, when the equity market began to sell off. And my call for 2022 was that equity markets, gold, um, and bond markets, all assets essentially would sell off as QT ran its course. Um, I had expected to get a, a, a rally while QE was still going on. So I wasn't right on that timing. Um, but now we're still in that phase in which we're transitioning from QE to QT. And that has a, and now also significant um, rate hikes. And that has a fairly impactful, um, that has a great deal of impact on um, asset prices. So that's playing through right now. As it relates to inflation, my expectation two years ago was that, in, sorry, not quite two years ago, a year ago, was that inflation was going to be transitory. Um, wrote about it at the time and still believe that's the case, but it's, as I said then, this transitory period is going to be at least through the end of this year. And I, 
pretty much think that's the case. Um, while today's number was hot in November, we called I called um, a um, peak in month over month, which is still true. Um, despite the hot number, it wasn't anywhere near the 0.9 peak we saw. And that Q1 would show the year-over-year -year peak. And I still feel that's very likely. Um, so, you know, on those two backdrops, we're going to have fairly high inflation for at least this year, um, probably above target into next year, uh, unless the Fed's um, does what that is now priced in. Mm. And I think if they do, there's a good chance that risk premiums on assets will expand. Growth will um, fall back to trend. Um, and um, inflation will be brought under control. So in essence, we're talking about, I mean, I, I would love to, to get an actual number for you because I know we're talking about the 50 basis points now, right, in March. And it, it seems to be pricing as a great uh, possibility Whereas, you know, it feels like just the other week I was telling people that a lot of the forecasts were for three to five hikes max this year. And now we're talking about 100 basis points before July. Sure. I mean, Obviously, is the Fed going to land this thing really hard? Are, are we done here? Well, that's the most important thing in terms of choosing which asset to own. Um, and um, that depends. Um I don't think any of us know, and I don't think they know. Um, they tend to operate extremely incrementally, uh, and I think that'll inform the pace of hikes as well as uh, the amounts and how they manage QT um, because they don't know. And they think, um, hike, see what happens, hike, see what happens, it's, and then QT, see what happens. And um, it's not easy to land. It's, and I would say that the high-level thing is that it's a particularly levered time to try to land on a narrow one runway. Um, so my expectation is they will make a mistake. I haven't um, shifted my asset allocation in particular to say which way that'll go yet because I think we're uh, well in advance and don't have a lot of good data. The one thing I would mention is I've been focusing on QT in all of my written work and still believe that's the most important thing for financial assets. But the Fed did change, pivot away from QT a little bit um, in the press conference, focusing, Powell focusing on rate hikes as the principal mechanism to fight inflation. And I really believe that. I, I think QE was only used because rates were zero and QT and was not particularly effective in causing the economy to inflate, but was very effective in causing assets to inflate. So QT should do the reverse of those things, have minimal impact on uh, the economy and have significant impact on financial assets. Obviously, those are related, but rate hikes work. And we'll see if they hike enough to bring what is falling inflation anyway into a toward down toward target without simultaneously killing the economy. Um, financial assets can survive through that period, but QT is an overhang for that. And that'll be, um, the details of that are extremely important to understand. Yeah. And I believe it was, I, I want to do a little flashback because I believe it was in December that I saw you put out a tweet on Twitter that was like, you, you threw out the red flag of, wait, did they just say quantitative tightening? 
in the press conference. That if was, I remember that, that was, it was literally the minute of that statement. And that was, I called it a game changer. And I and no one talked about it. Changer. Yeah, no one talked about it. But also, I think the, the big conversation going on right now is even if we're going to start raising these rates in, in an effort to kill demand, that doesn't, that doesn't help the supply chain issues, does it? Yeah, it doesn't. Um, I mean, less demand will ease the supply, but it doesn't change the supply, the problems associated with the supply. Um, I've always been a bit more um, um, transitory on the supply chain issues. Um, sure, there's lots of things that can happen. But one thing I would say is that the energy side and the employment, sorry, energy, heart, copper, and labor are the things that are concerning to me. There is a supply chain problem, and I'm not talking about tankers or cargo ships with oil, in that because of ESG, um, there is really no financing available by banks, by the financial markets at reasonable rates for exploration, new, new infrastructure, and so on. And so there's a legitimate supply constraint that is not going to change. And then on that same line, um, copper, aluminum, aluminum, anything that conducts electricity um, is also seeing demand that's not going away because of the shift from um, um, more to, toward more sustainable energy sources. And so those are real, real uh, issues. The demand side shrink will affect wage, wages and employment, um, slowing the economy but there are few workers around. So th those are legitimate, permanent, um, or so semi-permanent um, influences for higher inflation through time. But, you know, I'm calling for high inflation through time, um, but eventually the hikes will kick in. Uh, the question isn't whether they'll, to me, the question isn't whether they'll work to tame inflation, but what damage they'll do to the economy. Yeah, definitely something to watch. Um, I want to go ahead and switch it up a little bit. And I mentioned we had two guests with us today. So I'd like to go ahead and bring in Nick Colas, co-founder of Data Trek. Obviously, the data guy. Nick, I'm sure you've been listening and would love to get your thoughts on, you know, obviously hot CPI number today, Fed, interest rates. It feels like the entire market almost had a shift today. And obviously, with what Andy's saying, we've been talking about supply chain. I was just wondering, could we get your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I, I think that the conversation so far has been broadly very correct. I mean, the, the issue with this CPI number is it is extremely hot and it's not likely to cool down. And we have a concurrent wage uh, inflation cycle going on as well, uh, which we saw in the jobs report last week. So the two are feeding on each other and the markets have a bit at a loss as to how to think about what the Fed's going to do about it. So we've seen big moves in Fed funds futures. Um, they were anticipating most likely a 25 basis point increase yesterday in March. Now it's 100% that it's going to be 50 in March. Uh, but there's no real deep understanding of how the Fed is going to address this issue, either from the rate side or from the balance sheet side. It's all a bit up in the air. And without that clarity, the market's going to really struggle uh, because they just don't know what the Fed's game plan is. And I'm not sure the Fed knows what their game plan is quite yet either. Yeah, thanks for thanks for correcting me on that. 100% now chance of a 50 basis point hike. I mean, obviously, you're the data guy, so I trust you on that. Um, but with supply chain issues, Fed hard landing, I mean, the data is obviously, or the bond market's yelling that, it thinks that the Fed got this wrong or that they're late to the party or whatever it is, however you want to consider it. So from now on, I mean, what should what should people be doing with their money? 
Look, I mean, it's going to be a tough year for equities, U.S. equities. I don't think there's any doubt about that because of all the things we're talking about, most fundamentally this uncertainty about Fed policy. The underlying positive, which I think merits some attention, is that corporate earnings continue to be excellent, like off the charts excellent. People are talking about Q4 being a bit disappointing. I don't see it that way. Q4 EPS on the S&P is going to come in $54 or $55 a share. That annualizes to well over $200 a share. And inflation is not necessarily bad for corporate profits, big companies like S&P 500 companies can pass along inflation to the end consumer. They have the power to do that. And so margins, which are currently running net about 12.5%, can hold up this year. So it's going to be a tension in this market between what is Fed policy? How will that affect the real economy? How does it affect long-term rates? But just as importantly, we're going to still see very strong earnings from U.S. corporations. And that's the underlying positive. When we've had Fed rate increase cycles in the past, corporate earnings have always gone up, whether it be the early 90s, the late 90s, 2004 to 2006, earnings are always up through rate hike cycles. So that's the underlying positive to keep in mind. So as choppy as things are and will continue to be, there's still a fundamental underpinning to this market that I think is heartening. Yeah, that's a good point. But Nick, I got I got to push back on you. You know, play devil's advocate here is are we still in a market of stocks or, or are there, you know, is there an actual market or are we just going to see the winners continue to win and the losers are just going to fall off? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, the, the old, uh, the old um, traders saying about a, a market of stocks or a stock market is basically about correlations. How much do assets correlate with each other? And we saw a spike in correlations in late January as the market fell apart. So that became a stock market. It is still a market of at least sectors. So if you look at energy or financials, two groups that we like a lot, those are doing substantially better. And we still like them here, energy especially. That to me is as close to a layup trade as we have for 2022. It's a small part of the S&P, but it is a good place to make money. But your point is very valid. When we see big contractions and big volatility, nothing works. That's just the way it always works. It's just, you know, the correlations go to one and that's when you know a bottom is formed. Yeah. So Nick, let me, let me get a little insight from you. Are you calling, uh, you know, for over a hundred dollars a barrel on oil? Cause I think a lot of people have been watching that as a benchmark. Yeah, I, to me, no doubt about it. You go back to the 2011 to 2014 period, <clears throat> inflation adjusted, those levels are like 120. So just to get back to where we were a decade ago almost, you're talking well north of $100 a barrel. And as uh, as um, you also discussed, you know we don't have any, much investment going on in infrastructure in that sector, and that's going to help keep prices very high. And the global economy is going to recover this year, and there will be more demand. The world still uses 100 million barrels of oil a day a day. The U.S. still uses well north of 20 million barrels a day. That's only going to go up. Yeah. Do you think the the full possibility of Ukraine and Russia, I mean, Russia is part of OPEC plus, right? Like that is a whole geopolitical, geopolitical event that could obviously affect the oil market, could it not? Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's part of a very long and rich history of geopolitical events affecting oil markets all the way back to the nationalization of oil fields in the 60s, to the oil shocks in 73 and 79, to the Gulf Wars. I mean, these things happen to oil markets and uh, we're in the middle of one now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah, Andy, let me go back to you because obviously Nick brought up corporate earnings and and we're seeing, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, some companies like take Disney, for example, had a blowout week based off of theme parks. Um, Google somehow does it time and time again, but then you have others that are falling flat on their face. And I know you've been watching some uh, just based off of your Twitter feed, like Twilio and things like that. Um, You know, what earnings are you watching in the upcoming weeks and what do you want to see out of these companies that you're watching? 
So I don't do much on single stocks. I do on occasion, but mostly what I'm looking at is the broad, um, the broad markets. And what I would say at the high level is that um, if you have a positive um, inflation, a, a high inflation expectation, and even if you assume uh, consensus expectations for growth are on the low end of consensus, you're still talking about a nominal, remember that stocks are nominal assets. You're still talking about nominal top line growth of six, six plus percent. And all of the and the companies that really do the bet will do the best in that circumstance are the ones that have high operating margin. So you're not going to do well with Uber that loses money on uh, has a negative operating margin, but you might do quite well with one that has low input costs and has um, which include human and in, human inputs um, and high operating uh, leverage because you can generate you know, significant double digit growth in that, in those stocks. So there's something there. Um, and I would say that that's, if I were to lean in one direction and assume that the Fed doesn't kill growth so that we actually head toward um, zero growth, um, it seems to me that um, the, some of the most hated stocks, which are high tech growth, um, will probably behave the best in any environment um, given the what I expect to be very high nominal um, nominal uh, growth. Yeah, that's great. So assuming that we don't have the Fed kill growth this year, do uh, would you mind sharing? Do you have a personal um, price target for the overall market for the year? So um, I spent all last year. Uh, so I spent pretty much since the April 06, uh, April sixth of. 2020 long the market. That is not my preference. I generally prefer to have a short on, uh, tend to speculate short. Um, and I'm looking for that opportunity to be short mar the market. And I missed it when I heard the drumbeat. So I'm certainly not a perma, perma bull, but at the same time, the entire, what's, what's important to notice is that Every uh, and um, Nick, I think, um, indicated that it was all assets down. That's really true. You couldn't, there was no place to hide in the last uh, month. Um, bonds were down, gold was did perform perform poorly, um, crypto performed poorly, uh, and stocks performed poorly. And you look at pretty much every asset class except hard commodities, things were down. Um, and that's what that is, is a risk premium expansion. It means that multiples in stocks are contracting while bond prices are falling far in excess of increases in growth expectations or increases in uh, inflation expectations. And so nothing works. I think that's happened, in my experience, happened as much as it, I expected when we were at our lows in January as much as I had expected it could possibly happen, even with aggressive hikes and, and tight and QT, which is what I had expected. So here we are, um, you know, 300 S&P points off the bottom, at least as far as I know today, um, and bonds are still poor, performing poorly. Um, the market portfolio is, has not recovered, and that market portfolio is, in my opinion, um, oversold. So long answer to that is 
Um, bonds seem to be a decent buy here, but I don't think are going to go up that well because of the strength of nominal growth. And earnings are excellent and likely to do w- well in the next at least two quarters before the Fed's hiking actually bites on the economy. So I could see an, um, an all-time high again in the S&P 500 before um, year end, but I don't have a extremely bullish case at this stage. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to walk us through that. I mean, obviously, it seems like for the last you know two years that the Fed's been pumping money into the system, everybody's been calling for the 10% correction, right? And, and on average, we get a 10% correction uh, pretty much yearly, right? Um, Nick, same question for you. I mean, do you, with everything that's going on and with the data that we're getting, um, do you guys have or do you personally have uh, a price target that you're looking for the market to end at this year? Yeah. I mean, the way we think about it is this. We've just come off three excellent years, and I would call those almost wartime years. And if you go back in history, the stock market tends to do well during periods of, quote, wartime, when the nation is focused around solving a very large existential problem like COVID or like World War II or Korea or a large chunk of the Vietnam era. And we're coming off of that period into the normalization period, and that tends to be a little bit of a difficult time for the market. If the market's down for the year, and right now, you know, let's say we let's just say we know with existential certainty the market's going to be negative for the year right now. The problem with that is that since 1980, the S&P's never bottomed in a down year before June, and it more commonly bottoms in October and November or even December. So I think we're in for a bit of a slog here. I think we're in for a lot of volatility, possibly lower lows for the next couple of months as we churn through this issue of how is the Fed going to address inflation. And then, knock on wood, we get a low sometime mid-year and we're off to the races from that point on because corporate profits are still excellent and it will have more normalization or the market will understand better the path pathway of Fed policy. So the way I think about it is near term, a lot more volatility. Um, There's just no way to avoid it, given where we are with valuations and with Fed policy. Once that clarifies, I think we start to do better, but it's not in the near term. Right. So near term, obviously, we're worried about the Fed. We're worried about inflation. We're worried about supply chain. Second half of the year, should we be worried um, continuing how the first half goes, of course, but midterm elections. Is that still going to be something that adds to the volatility or are we going to get a little bit of decision out of that? No, it feels like that's actually a positive. I mean, um, you know, there's a very strong historical correlation between a president's approval rating and how his party does in midterm elections. Gallup's done some great work on that. It's available online and it's basically one for one. Uh, and given that President Biden's approval ratings are very low, it's almost a lock that the Republicans take back the House and probably the Senate, which creates gridlock in the back half of the first Biden administration. And markets tend to like that because they're sure nothing really dramatic is going to happen. So I view the midterms as kind of a positive that's already baked into stocks. Amazing. Thanks so much for that insight. All right, gentlemen, before I let you go, got to know, who do you have winning this weekend for the Super Bowl? Uh, Nick, you first. I'm embarrassed to say I've been watching this market so closely. I don't even know who's playing. Amazing. Andy, what about I, you? I don't. I think the Rams. <laughs> Rams. Rams over Bengals. There you go. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much. You both be well. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now let's go ahead and bring in Seeking Alpha's own Kim Khan here with your Catalyst Watch for next week. Hey, Kim, how are you? Good, Dan. How are you? Doing well. Go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, um, well, uh, people who want to get in, uh, away from inflation because they've had too much of this week, I got bad news for you because according to our Catalyst Watch, we're chock full of more inflation information coming next week. We uh, um, The PPI is obviously going to be the 
one of the big numbers. We'll see. Yeah, we saw what we did on the retail side hot today, and we'll see how it is with input prices coming up next week. Then we've also got, um, you know, everybody all lies on the Fed. So we'll have Fed speakers, but also the FOMC minutes from the last meeting. So we'll get a little more in, insight into how the debate was going there and maybe especially what our guests were talking about with how things are going with quantitative tightening. And then on the corporate front, you'll also have some inflation information because um, we'll have an investor day from Intel and earnings from NVIDIA, two major chip companies, obviously, that are dealing with a chip shortage, which um, none of the big companies really expect to ease up any at time soon. But they may have some good news with us on the supply chain issue. That was one of the big things that is pushing up prices in new and used cars. And so if that starts slowing, that could help ease off a lot of the top line inflation. So we'll see. Yeah, I know that's some great information as well. I mean, especially you talk about the chip sector, right? In a video, we had the big news come out this week about them pulling out of the ARM acquisition deal, which was a major blow. And then their competitor, Advanced Micro Devices, getting uh, the, the all clear approval on this Linux. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But Kim, thank you so much. Before you go, Rams or Bengals? I'm going Rams. It's a home field advantage. I like that. Having used to live in LA, I appreciate anytime anybody says Rams. All right, you take care. Bye. All right, bye. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for this week. This has been the Weekend Bite. Everyone have a great weekend and enjoy the Super Bowl.